totally 100% believe it takes is that fathers have an, uh, we have a moral obligation to dress well because it is indicative and don't think when I say dress well that means you have to wear suits or you have to dress up formally because that can be very different but you need to dress intentionally because it's indicative of the fact that you are intentional about things in your life. You don't just give in to complacency or mediocrity. It sets the tone for your kids and for your family for them to see that dad is somebody who is actually aspirational and my dad didn't give up all the cool things that were great about being a dad as soon as he had me. And being a dad is a dead end to all of my ambitions and all of my aspirations and what it's like, especially for young boys to grow up to be men. But it's a subtle way to continue to signal to yourself and to signal to your family that you haven't peaked, that you're continuing to grow and develop. All right, dads, let's talk about style. Has your style increased or decreased since you've been a dad? And um, let's be honest, do you think style even matters? And we're talking about dress style, we're talking about how you dress. Well, I got to sit down to talk with Tanner Guzzi, and he runs a site called Masculine Style. And we talked a lot about how that relates to self-confidence and how people perceive you. Really interesting because I started off this conversation a little bit skeptical, a little bit um, thinking it was too surface level, but um, I think it plays a big part, more part than we um, want to give it credit. So let's jump into the interview with Tanner. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of having Tanner Guzzi, um, who runs a site called Masculine Style. Uh, he also talks a lot about fatherhood. Um, he's got quite a few in his brood as well. And he's an advocate for people having large families. So naturally a good fit for the Tucson Dad Show. So Tanner, thanks for being on, man. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So maybe for, for people that haven't followed you, I've been following you for a little while now. And just to just give us the story and how you got to talking about style and maybe give us the background of your family. I'd love to just hear your story before we dive in. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the style stuff and where that all picked up from, I grew up in a family, especially with a unique last name like Guzzi, where we were pretty sensitive to our reputation and the fact that our name meant something. And so I remember even in elementary school, my mom being very vigilant about dressing us a certain way. And for me, the it really took off more when I was in middle school. And part of that was because at that point they had shifted to, I was going to a private school where I had to wear gray slacks, white button up shirt, the rep tie and the, the mm -hmm. Navy blazer, all that. But I was really into the BMX bike and punk rock music scene and all of this other, like very rebellious anti-establishment green Liberty spikes and bondage pants and all this other, like very like the antithesis of what the private school ethos and uniform and everything else was. And so there was this dissonance for me that sucked because I hated the way that I had to wear my uniform. And I remember getting in a lot of trouble. In fact, I got suspended one week for having a bad attitude and wearing my uniform incorrectly and all this kind of stuff. And I remember my punk rock friends would tease me when they would see me walking home from school wearing my uniform. And so it was at this kind of early age that I was forced to identify with the fact that People treat you differently and you perceive you, yourself very differently depending on the clothes that you put on your body. It's something that has external and, and internal ramifications because my mood would be different depending on what I was wearing. And I'm sure most of the listeners can understand how that is where – you know, most guys, most dads, especially entrepreneurs, where we don't have a, a business uniform that we have to wear, we typically wear relatively comfortable stuff. And a lot of us convince ourselves, well, I don't really care how I look, but it's okay. Then go raid your wife's closet and tell me that you don't feel differently 
putting on her clothes than you do <laughs> with what you wear every single day, right? You chuckle because yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're yeah. going to feel very different. People are going to treat you very differently. And so what I do and what this has morphed into over years of working in the suiting industry, writing a blog about it for the last 10 years, coaching guys, is teaching men how to be able to not dress up. I Very rarely do I have guys like, you need to go buy a suit or you need to put on a button-up shirt, but it's how to leverage their appearance so that there is more of that leveling up their internal congruence, who I am on the outside matches who I am on the inside, and then also sending the kind of signals that they want to send to their audience so that they do communicate the kind of things that they want to, whether that's credibility and authority or that's warmth and openness or whatever it is that you want to be able to signal, especially for a lot of entrepreneurs who are the kind of the face of their business. I teach you how to do that with your appearance so that it maximizes the results you're getting in your business. No, I think it's super fascinating and don't take this wrong way, but part of me at the surface level is like, why does that matter? Like, mm -hmm. really? Come on. Yeah. And I'm sure you get that all the time. Totally. But I totally resonate with where my mind went is, A, the confidence thing. So one thing is like this whole shift to everyone working remote, that can, people that can work remote, there's a huge mentality shift of if you actually get like you're going to a meeting and you dress that way before you, you know, get on the calls or whatever – Yep. Totally mental state shift as opposed totally. to being in your boxers or whatever. It's like professional sports players. Are they really going to play as well if they're in their regular gym attire compared to when they're in the uniform and kitted? Of course not because your mindset shifts when you put on your game clothes. Yeah. And then what some of the things that you do where you have an actual little quiz to understand what your natural style is. And I, I thought about that and how sometimes when you buy the suit that's not – either it doesn't fit right or it's you're just buying what you think you should wear. Mm -hmm. Yep. You feel out of place. You, you, you naturally then are, are, it's like you're wearing a costume and it's fake and a poser and you know yeah. that in your head. Yeah. It's weird. So yep. part of me is I've been dismissing like the whole style thing, but part of me is I see there's a lot of baseline truth in kind of what you're talking about. So tell me about your family life and um, how that relates to everything, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been married for nine years and we've got four kids, three daughters and a son. They're, let's see, eight, six, just about to turn four and 18 months. So young and close together. Yeah. And we're very blessed that we're in a position where my, I, I do well enough with work that my wife gets to be home as a full-time mom and we also homeschool. And so we all are around each other all the time and we love it. <laughs> we, we love it quite a bit. And yeah, cause I work from home. She's home. Like we just get to spend a lot of time together and man, being a dad, being a husband and being a dad for me, it's rocket fuel. I was, I was just very kind of a complacent person. Like I was smart enough that I could get by with B's and some A's in school without ever really trying. And I was a smooth talker and that's even how it was up through college. And I did decent from a career perspective, but I never really got any ambition or any drive until I had the responsibility of leading a family and having people depend on me. And then my life just took off like crazy with having that kind of pressure. And I, I absolutely love it. That's awesome. Do you think that's common in guys here? Do you think they cave under that pressure or talk to me a little bit about that? Cause I think that's an interesting comment that you made. I think sadly today, more and more we see men cave under that kind of pressure. And especially because a lot of men are afraid of even the politically cor in incorrect notion that you should be leading your family, that it's not you're the dopey dad, you're the Phil Dunphy or the Homer Simpson, or that you're just like the oldest child and my wife always knows best and she's the one who can boss me around. And it's like, no, I'm the one who can be and should be responsible for setting the tone and helping determine the direction of the family and everything else like that. That's a lot of pressure and it's terrifying for a lot of men. 
But if we don't rise up to it, then we get crushed underneath it. Yeah. Why do you think it's terrifying? What, like, why is it, obviously we have, there's an issue with masculinity in the world today, <laughs> and I don't want to belabor that too much, but I, what I'd like to do is unpack, why do you think that's the case? But how does it relate to what you're doing with the whole, the style thing? Because I think there's an interesting overlay there of, you said it, you said, I don't think you should be, you don't feel like that is even the right thing to do to lead your family well, or to be a strong leader. Right. So in the same way with this, with the style thing, it's, you feel like you're not, you're, there's been a cultural impetus put on you that it's, you're not supposed to be this role that you're, you're fulfilling or something. Right. It's this kind of perpetual adolescence, or we're so afraid, we're so afraid of terms like patriarchy or things like that. We overcorrect and we throw the baby out with the bathwater because you can get canceled for saying this kind of stuff or for embodying those ideas, or it's difficult to find a wife who wants to be in a more traditional style. So there's all these cultural things that work against us. And it is, it's the same thing with your appearance. And when you have all of that cultural inertia and all of that pressure and everything else saying, no, don't go this way. A lot of guys aren't willing to rebel and take the, the punk rock route, which is ironic. That's the way that it is now that being a traditional family is now the punk rock route compared to the rest of the world, but it really is. But a lot of guys are, they're just not willing to do that. And I, and I, I'm frustrated and to a very large extent I can't blame them because if you didn't grow up being willing to bend the rules or break some of the rules or go against the grain or things like that, you were always just being a good old boy. It's really hard when you're an adult to break out of that and you keep hitting your head against the wall. It's like, why am I miserable? Why is my wife miserable? Why are my kids miserable? And it's because you keep following the same prescription as opposed to trying to do something different. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up like patriarchy being like a, a bad word and – I've had this thought of it's so interesting to to see the pressure that wives are under or moms are under to to work outside the home and mm -hmm. it's you just it's I, mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent there but it's like that plays into the whole thing because it's, it, it's saying no there's a a neutralization of who's in who's the leader of the home or something it's right or who even has thing. what <laughs> delegation of tasks or anything else yeah. like that because there's no longer this it's not because I don't bring home money because my wife can't just she doesn't cook dinner because I can't, but we both embrace what those roles are. And we, we love to do things for each other and embrace those roles because we're happy to do it. Not because the other person is incapable. Hmm. And that's what a lot of, I think a lot of modern couples get caught up in is this idea of I'm only supposed to do the things that she can't or that he can't. And then if not, then it's an equal division of later labor and we split it down the middle and so no, that's not how delegation or optimization or anything else like that works. Like you just lean into what your natural tendencies are and you can get really good at this and then it becomes really fun and your nature, your relationship becomes very complimentary and your kids get to see different aspects of what it's like to be an adult as opposed to just two people trying to be the same person. And there's a whole lot to it. That's it. That's an interesting point you bring up though, with the kids observing that, because from a generational perspective, you see there was shifts in women in the workplace and that sort of thing that is now playing out in how, in what people observed in their parents and then it plays out in the next generation, totally. which is interesting and unfortunate. But I, I'm curious, like the coming back to your style consultation and all that, tell me about some of the stories that some of like your clients and people that have worked with you, how that's changed their perception of themselves or their marriage or, cause I, I'd like the listeners to hear that. Cause it's yeah. like I was saying, when I started this out, it's like, you have this one notion where you're, oh, that's a surface level. And then you have this other idea where you're like, I can see the truth in that. So I wonder if you could speak to some of the results that your audience and your, your clients have had. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty common 
with most, with the majority of my clients, for me at some point as we get toward the end of the process, to get some sort of a text message where it's just like, I had no idea that this was going to impact my life in this many ways. Because a lot of guys, they do, they just come into it as like, I've got my fitness on point or my finances or my my relationships and there's now this frustration that I still look like the same dopey guy that I was 15, 20 years ago. Or it's younger guys who they make a lot of money and they're terrible with girls and they have no social skills and they're trying to improve their market value that way. Like I get this whole kind of cross section of different men, but the reality is, is what it really does for them is it takes, it's almost like if you listen to somebody singing and they can't hit a note, they keep hitting it flat and it's a consistent note that they keep hitting flat over and over. And then finally they practice it enough that they get to the point where they hit it perfectly. And then all of a sudden the whole song and everything really just comes into tune. And it's like that where it's that one little note and you don't think it's that big of a deal because it may even just be part of the harmony but when you do it wrong, it screws everything up. And when you get it right, it brings everything into tune and creates this kind of synergy that amplifies how much money my guys make, how far they're able to progress in their careers, how much self-respect they have. Like when they just catch their reflection in the mirror on their way out the door and it's, oh, I actually look like the best version of myself instead of looking like the guy who peaked in college and hasn't improved or changed since then because I'm still that same guy. Or my wife is now... She's the one who's pursuing me. And there's all these little things that come into it. And so it ties into all of it. And it's awesome that my guys get to experience all of that. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you hit on like the whole confidence thing, even inside of like marriage or like long term relationships, like how important that is and how the negative effects of beating the masculinity out of society. That's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it throws the whole order of things off. But yep. you know, that's super fascinating. And I, I think that it's something that is not probably not paid attention to enough with especially dads as like with young kids it's like kind of falls to the bottom of the of the list but i see it, it could be potentially it's a small thing that cascades into other things right it does. do you see that is it like hey, no, 100 because in fact i even this is one of my more hyperbolic but i totally 100 percent believe it takes is that fathers have an uh, we have a moral obligation to dress well because it is indicative and Don't think when I say dress well, that means you have to wear suits or you have to dress up formally because that can be very different. But you need to dress intentionally because it's indicative of the fact that you are intentional about things in your life. You don't just give in to complacency or mediocrity. It sets the tone for your kids and for your family for them to see that dad is somebody who is actually aspirational and – My dad didn't give up all the cool things that were great about being a dad as soon as he had me. And being a dad is a dead end to all of my ambitions and all of my aspirations and what it's like, especially for young boys to grow up to be men. But it's a subtle way to continue to signal to yourself and to signal to your family that you haven't peaked, that you're continuing to grow and develop. You're continuing to put effort into things and that you are not allowing the burden of fatherhood to create complacency in your approach and anything else in your life. And instead you're turning it into, this is forcing me to improve and become even better in every single aspect of my life as well. Yeah. I think that's a really important you know, point that you made. It's not forcing you to complacency because that's the easy answer. It's yep. and, and part of it, I, I, I feel fall guilty to victim to this, to, to some degree where it's, you have your single buddies that don't, they're not married or they're married with no kids. And you're, they're just complaining about how they don't have any time. And then they're <laughs> like, oh, you don't even know you, but that there's truth in your response to say, you have no idea. Like your mm-hmm. perspective is totally wrong, 
But at the same time, I think if you take that to its logical conclusion in yourself, you're, it, it, it validates your complacency, right? You're like, totally. I have all these reasons why. It's a victim mentality. Right. Even if you love your kids. It's not that you, you don't like your kids. It's like you, you fall into this victim mentality. It's, I, I can't even imagine then how that plays out in what our kids observe of us. And I think exactly. that's really important. Yep. Because it is, it becomes an excuse and it's a very subtle and subconscious excuse to, I can let off the gas. I can relax. I can breathe. And there's nothing wrong with doing that in the right place in the right time and doing it intentionally. But when you allow that relaxation to become chronic in any part of your life, whether that's your dietary habits or your exercise or your appearance or making an effort to spend time with male friends and bonding with them or all these other things that dad continued we continue to let these go by the wayside. It just sets a terrible example for our children. Yeah, I, I agree. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this, man. Go, take us back a little bit. I want to hear a little bit more <laughs> about the origin story. You said you were in the industry a little bit. Tell me a little bit about the origins of what you're doing and helping men. Okay, so I wanted to do... I've always been a talker and I like to think about things and hash out ideas. And so... I got my degree in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be the young libertarian version of somebody like Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck 15 years ago. And I remember working for the local radio station and trying to make my way up the ladder and it wasn't working. And I had gotten sick of writing about politics or religion or all these other important but heavy topics. And so I thought, well, I need to keep my voice sharp. So let's start writing about something that's fun and enjoyable. And so that's when I started writing Masculine Style because – I enjoy style. It was fun to start talking about ideas and stuff like that. And because I took a more philosophic approach and a less like, here's how to tie a tie or here's what kind of shoes you should wear to be on trend this summer, but more of how, why did, why did the Jaguar warriors and the Aztec warriors care about dressing like these animals and how did that embody these different strengths and how did that change their culture within this Aztec culture as far as being different types of warriors, like that kind of stuff. It took off with readers and it started to build. And I remember it was 2012. We were just about to have our first daughter. I was making $12.95 an hour as a loan officer for a local credit union. Mm-hmm. My wife was – we both knew that we wanted my wife to be able to be home full time and that's like what, $28,000, $30,000 a year. There was no way that we were going to be able to make that work. And I had enough people start to reach out and ask me questions that I thought, okay, maybe I can turn this into a product or maybe I can start offering coaching. Mm -hmm. And so I sent something out and I brought on my first client that week and I charged him way too little and I gave him way too much for what I charged him. And you learn those lessons (laughs) along the way as you go. And then that got leveraged into meeting the guys who work for a local or who run a a local custom suit company. And I worked for them for five years while simultaneously running the blog and got really good at understanding all the science, the mechanics of fit and color and everything else like that. And then it was about three and a half years ago that I decided to make the jump full time to doing this. And it's just continued to accelerate every year. So that's been awesome. awesome. That's cool. That's really cool, man. How, how do you think this whole work COVID thing is affecting the style world? <laughs> <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised that at least for me, March and April, everybody's holding their collective breath. Yeah. But after that, it's been relatively normal. And I think what we're starting to see is sadly, it's just more this, what, this bifurcation where those who are, it's like the people who are using this as an opportunity to make more money and lose more weight and get in better shape. 
are also the same guys who are using as an opportunity to work with me and improve their style. Whereas the other people, it's I've really caught up on my Netflix and I've put on an extra 20 pounds and I don't remember the last time I saw my running shoes or anything like those are the kind of people that and so we're just going to see. I think more people, more men start to dress well and dress more intentionally and you're going to see more people start to get even more complacent and we're going to lose even more of the middle. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, totally true. <laughs> That's totally what I observe as well. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So while we're on predictions, I'm curious, like, what in the landscape here? You know what? And maybe that's out, outstretched outside of mask and style, but with this whole COVID thing and and all the stuff that's going on, I know that you definitely have a lot of commentary on that. And I, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious. You guys say you homeschool. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's craziness going on in the education you know, world and whether you're going to go back and all that stuff. What are some of the things that you're – how the how shifts that are going to happen here? Such a hard question. My <laughs> wife and I were talking about this last night because – we were looking at – we were driving home from being up the canyon. We saw some guys drive by in a side-by-side, like one of those Razor side-by-sides that you'd go for yeah. off-roading. And I'm thinking, I can't wait till we're old enough to do that. And the, like the kids are old enough and everything, and we can do this. And you know, give it another five years, ten years. And is that even going to be a possibility? Or are we going to be in the middle of like complete balkanization or a civil war or a world war or whatever else? And it's so hard to predict because if you look at different – histories of different societies and where we are on the scale it's not looking very good but at Mm. the same time i think one of the things that a lot of guys get into real trouble with is this kind of doomsday now i'm going to become a complete prepper and i'm going to do it to the at the expense of being able to thrive in a the way that things currently are and b what if we do go back to things being really good we never come off of that precipice and i'm just waiting with all my guns and all my everything else because I know it's going to happen and then I spend the next 20 years and again I ruin my kids lives and set a terrible example for them because you want the boogaloo to happen you want everything to and so you're incapable of thriving and so one of the things that we're doing is yeah we've upped our food storage we've got half a cow that's being delivered we're stocking up on other stuff but at the same time I'm still investing into growth in the business and we're still trying to operate as close to normal as possible and so I guess it's like the anti-fragile barbell theory from Taleb mm-hmm. where you put 90% of your effort into the safer stuff and then 10% into kind of the risky stuff. And then either way, you're going to be you're going to be OK regardless of how it pans out. But, man, what's really going to happen? I have no idea. It's we live in such an interesting time. Is it all going to calm down once the election is over? Is this all just part of creating that kind of dissonance so that the election becomes a bigger deal like how does do we just decide covid goes away or does everybody have to get vaccinated like, there's so many variables in all of this that i i have no idea <laughs> i don't even know what the next six days is gonna look like let alone the yeah. next six months or six years it's crazy it's yeah. wild it's wild but i'm sick of saying it's crazy i'm sick of even just ha- those words coming out of my mouth because that's like mm-hmm. all we've been saying for the last like, right. three months we live in but, unprecedented times <laughs> yeah it's like ridiculous <laughs> and, and i think the, even just your ability to say that you don't know i think is telling because it, it seems like there's this enormous pressure to have a, a, a strong opinion on every little thing and and you're constantly overwhelmed with information that it's it's impossible to to take it all in and actually respond Totally. And still be invested in the things you need to be invested in your family and your business and all of that. And it's just, which I think is unfortunate, but it, it, the power of fear is so prevalent in our society today, Tanner. Yep. It's like, yep. it is fueled. There is just, it's, it's all fueled by fear and, I do, and I guilt. Hate that. Yeah. Fear, and I hate both of those because neither one of those is a virtue. 
it's not a virtue to be fearful and to allow that timidity to be able to drive you. And there is, and you could say, well, Tanner, you're being hypocritical because you're buying food storage and you are buying more guns and you're doing all the, and it's okay. Not because I'm living in fear, but because that gives me a certain sense of confidence and competence so that I don't have to live in fear. And that's what I'm trying to do is increase my levels of both confidence and competence in as many different arenas as I can so that if we do turn around and we get back to normal and things are thriving, then fantastic. I can make that work. Or if we do go absolutely crazy, then I'm pretty sure I can hold that out until I can learn the skills that I need to make that work. Or if we do some sort of twisted, crazy road in between there, then I can pivot and adapt. And to applying that entrepreneurial mindset to just life in general as opposed to how do I make more money with Facebook ads or whatever else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Tanner, thanks for chatting and bringing a lot of wisdom to, to my audience, and, and I, I hope it was valuable for them. I, I know it was valuable for me. Thanks for having me on. Good, quick conversation. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'll link up your blog and, and your Twitter account and everything on the show notes, and people can find you and connect with you that way. So. Perfect. Thanks, Ann. Thank you for listening, and thank you for making an investment in being a great dad and investing in your family. This show is proudly made possible and supported by Waypoint. Uh, Waypoint helps guide managers on their journey through leadership. You can learn more at waypointhq.com. And as always, if you have a suggestion for the show or a guest or feedback, please don't hesitate to email me, mike at twocentdad.com. And if you want to make sure you never miss any great content, then you got to get on the email list. And you can do that on the website, twocentdad.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Mike Sudeck.